All right, we're in uh, Romans part 28. We are moving along, right? We're moving along here. So by way of review, I'll go over 10, chapter 10. We're going to finish chapter 10 and get into chapter 11 today. Um, and so the whole, the bigger picture at this moment is that Paul is now explaining Israel's rejection, right? Basically why they rejected the Messiah and they, they were stumbling, right? They had a stumbling, um, and he, he presented a paradox. The paradox was the Gentiles were able to get righteousness without the law. The Jews did not get righteousness, even though they had the law, right? And because, does anybody remember why they could not get righteousness? It should be verse 32 of your notes. If it's, oh, maybe I took them off of your notes, right? Anyways. Well, it says because they did not pursue it by faith. Exactly. But as it were based on works. Right. Exactly right. So they, they tried to achieve righteousness by following the law, by doing works, and not by faith. What, has, what Paul is presenting and has been presenting, that even in their scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, they were told and foretold that it's always by faith. Salvation is always by faith. So when you follow the law, you're believing by faith that God is receiving your, your sacrifice, your, your offering, your whatever, um, but you had to relieve your burden of works to him to accept it, right? Your works were not going to make it right. Your works were a way of aligning yourself with him. Just like prayer is a way of aligning ourselves with him. We're not, we don't pray to God as like a cosmic Santa Claus, right? right. We don't just ask him for things. Our, the whole premise of prayer is to align your thoughts, your ideas, your ways, your means to His, right? And so you're asking to align yourself to be in Him, to commune with Him, fellowship with Him. So it, 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 it is that you're allowing His will to be done, not only in your life, but all around you. And the, re the reality is it was going to happen whether you prayed or not, right? His will is going to happen. And so you're just aligning yourself to commune with his plans and his ideas. Well, it's the same sort of premise that the Jews had is, and that we should have, is that by faith we're following his will, right? What is God's will for your life? It's a very simple thing. It's in Second Thessalonians. What is God's will for your life? To sanctify you, right? This is, it says, and this is God's will for your life to sanctify you. So his will is to sanctify you. So when we pray, we're praying to be in that will of him sanctifying us. And so challenges, trials, tribulations, difficulties, all these things are good for you, right? It's contrary to our, our cultural thinking that we want everything to be easy and nice and pleasant and comfortable. But God not only allows them, God purposes trials and tribulations in your life so that you come alongside him in his will, right? His will is to sanctify you. How does he sanctify you? Trials, tribulations, difficulties, challenges, and studying his word and going to church and fellowshipping with one another and doing works and doing good things. All those things sanctify you, and that's his will for you. So when you pray and when you approach him, it's aligning yourself with his will in your life, yeah? Okay, so the Gentiles got righteous because they came to him by faith, which was faith in somebody, 
the somebody was God's provision, the somebody was God's son, that allowed a reconciliation between God and man. So Gentiles, you and I, came to God on the basis of faith that we couldn't do it because we knew that the, we were taught that the law can't make us righteous. All the law does is expose our unrighteousness, right? So to the Jews, however, they were trained, they were taught, they had in their mind that, that faith wasn't going to matter. What mattered was following the law. So when Christ comes preaching and teaching that the only way to heaven is through him, that he's the way, that he's the life, that he's the truth, no one comes to the Father except through him, they rejected it because they were not thinking that way. They were thinking the way to the Father is through following the law, right? So he's a, a stumbling offense for them. He's a rock of offense to the Jews, but God purposed that, we, we learn, right? In Old Testament, he purposed that so that what? Why did he purpose the rejection of the Jews to their Messiah? What was the bigger picture, the big pur purpose? To the Gentiles, right? So that we would come. And, and the Gentiles that believe make up the body, the church of Christ. And what, what do they do? They, what we'll learn, they provoke yeah. the Jews to what? Jealousy. Jealousy, right? They would provoke because now they've obtained righteousness apart from the law. Why do they get righteousness and we don't, basically, right? And so it provokes them to jealousy. And so our that's why the gospel, that's not, not why the gospel, but the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, right? But God's plan was to bring in the fold of the Gentiles, a fold of the Gentiles, not all of them, obviously. There's always just a remnant, and we're going to talk about the remnant is what God always works through. Okay, so they were, Christ was a stumbling block for the Jews. They were, they were ignorant of the way of salvation, right? And then we saw that in 10 verse 1 that um, Paul's desire was for them all to be saved, his people, Paul being a Jew, right? Um, that they had a zeal for God, but it wasn't according to what? They had a zeal for God, but not according to what? Knowledge, right? Meaning what? What was the knowledge? The knowledge of his son, right? Yeah. The way of salvation is through his son, right? And they rejected him. He came to his own. His own did not receive him, right? The knowledge was God here. God gives them the provision, their Messiah. Their knowledge, they had a zeal. They wanted to please God. Remember, they said that they thought they were doing good by killing the Messiah, right? They thought they were doing God righteousness, by killing the Messiah. And they're going to come to realize in the still future that no, it wasn't that at all, right? By his stripes we were healed, right? Um, and so they failed to get righteous by following the law because Christ is the end of the law, right? Um, even like I said, even in the Old Testament, righteousness came by faith, not by law, <coughs> but by living in the law. Living in the law was Day by day, you're still living by faith that you're in communication and fellowship with God by following the law, right? The law was good in the sense that it, it helped you realize what righteousness was and how to walk in it, right? But they twisted it and corrupted it. Um, and so we saw that God's righteousness in verse 6 and 7 is by faith and it's near. It's not far. Remember we talked about Moses was telling them, you don't have to go up to the heavens or down in the depths of the sea, it's here, it's right here, right next to you. It's, it's at hand, right? It's in your mouth, it's in your heart, you can do it. Um, and I think that's where we ended, right? Verse nine, 
10, 9. All right, so let's go on. So let's, let's read verse 8, and then we'll go to 9 and 10. So read verse 8 of chapter 10, if you would. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Right. So Deuteronomy 30, 14 is what Paul is quoting. And that's even in Deuteronomy 30, when, when God is talking about the law, and, and it's means of faith-based righteousness. And Deuteronomy 30, 14 says, But the word is very near you. Who is the word? John 1, 1, right? Christ is the word. The word is God in essence and God communicating to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you can do it. <clears throat> you can obtain righteousness by doing these things, but it's by faith, not by works. Does that make sense? Okay, so Paul is telling him what exactly is in the heart and in the mouth of those who believe. It's the word of faith, right? Paul, so this, when Paul comes to teach and to preach, and Peter and James and all the other apostles, when they come, they are not really teaching or preaching something new, right? They're just telling you it's by faith. It's not, it's not, it's not a tangent, it's a, a culmination of revelation, right? God reveals himself at various ways and various times and this and then now he's revealing it through his son all their teaching is that you've been told and here it is in his son right here it is in his son so when they come teaching about faith it's not new it's not like something they never knew about they already knew about faith right um, and it was because it was in their hearts it was in their mouths those who believe know that it's near and it's acceptable because faith has always been available at all times. Why was, why was Abraham reckoned righteous? Because of his faith, right? Before there was Jews, there was Abraham, and Abraham was his righteousness was reckoned to him because of his faith in what God had promised him, right? Okay, so Paul's going to continue on this truth, so read verses 9 and 10, if you would. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Okay, so these verses... 10 too, right? Go, yeah, we could read 10. Jerry, read 10. Oh. Um, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So we are shown exactly how someone is saved, right? There's one essential element to salvation, that is belief, right? Because belief naturally flows into confession. When, when you believe, you confess, right? When you believe, you confess. Because with your mouth, you confess that Jesus is Lord. With the heart, one believes that God raised him from the dead, right? Confession is not something you do later as part of working out your salvation. Um, confession is right, you know, at the moment. You're believing that Christ is who he said he was, that he is the Savior. You're believing that he came to the earth, that he died, he was buried, and he rose again, right? All for your sin, for the sake of, your, of reconciling you back to God. So when you believe that, the confession is that. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. He is the Savior. I believe in him doing those things, right? That's what you're confessing. Even if that's not publicly made, it still is the, the natural progression of being saved, right? Because belief in the heart 
brings righteousness, right, and justification. The confession is then made to God, right, that, that, and the content of that confession is that Jesus did that for you, right? He died for our sins, right? So the faith, the belief is in a person, it's content, it's not just that God exists, right, that there is a God, but that God's Son, right, the Son of God, did those things for you. And he came and did those things for you. So it, it's that he is the only way. He is the only life. He is the only truth. Um, and that's what, you're, that's what you're believing and confessing, right? Um, <clears throat> so calling upon the name of the Lord is basically just ex exercising your faith in him. Um, it's not a separate act from faith. It's just that you're, you're recognizing what he did and you're calling upon him to say, I recognize what you did and I accept that. I receive that free gift of grace. That's what the confession is, right? Um, again, it's, not, it's, not, it's made to God. It's not made to a public confession. Baptism would be the idea that Christian, uh, Christians hold, or not the idea, but the... the the ceremony that Christians hold to of showing to the public or to showing other people that confession has already been made, right? The confession is made to God. Water baptism would be a public confession of what has already transpired, right? Um, okay, so he's going to give another quotation from the Old Testament in verse 11. Are we good with that? There's two things. I mean, belief, confession, they, they go hand in hand or together. Um, confession follows faith. Confession is calling on the name of the Lord for salvation, right? That he gives you the salvation. Okay, read verse 11 if you would. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Will not be put to shame, right? So Paul's quoting from Isaiah 28, 16. So in Isaiah, right, he's saying, as the, for the scripture says, he's re telling the Roman believers who many of them would have been Jews or, or even the Gentiles that were saved, could have access to the book of Isaiah. And he's using Isaiah 28, 16 to prove that faith was the only condition in salvation. So 28, 16 of Isaiah says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Jehovah, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. He that believes shall not be in haste or shall not be put to shame. So the context of this verse in Isaiah is the difference between the remnant and the non-remnant, right? The believing and the non-believing of Israel. So those, who, those Jews who always believed in God by faith and those who believed in God only by works, right? Um, there's a difference. So the universal way of attaining salvation has always been by faith, whether you're in, under the Mosaic Law or not under the Mosaic Law. The way of getting salvation was by faith. It's always been through faith. Okay, so to summarize verses 1 through 11, um, Israel's failure or their ignorance of the only way of salvation was that they thought they can get it through works, right, through the Mosaic Law. They failed to recognize that salvation comes only by grace, through faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone, right? So, but rather than believing in that simple word of faith, remember it was at hand, it was in their hearts, it was in their mouth, rather than believing that, they thought the purpose of the Mosaic Law was to provide 
them to become saved, right? To be, provide them to be righteous. So that's one ignorance. This is not the only ignorance that Israel had. The, the, the first ignorance is that they failed to understand how to get salvation. They thought it was by the law. It wasn't by the law, it's by faith. Now we're going to see another ignorance or another failure of Israel's um, possession of God's word through them. They failed. So remember, the bigger picture is Paul is answering the question, what about the Jews now that they rejected the Messiah, right? So he's kind of going through and listing their ignorances, their failures, and then he's going to give them, give us and them a comfort to, reckon, to realize what is God's plan in all of this. But right now, Paul's listing these, these failures or ignorances uh, that, that they, they had. Okay, so now we're in uh, chapter 10, 12, and 13. It's Israel's ignorance of the worldwide application of salvation. Um, so he's already kind of pointed out that even in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament Scriptures, that um, salvation was not based upon human works, but on God's grace given to those who believe, right? So he's now going to prove that it wasn't just to the Jews, it was to the Gentiles, even in their scriptures. So read verse 12, if you would, of chapter 10. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him. Okay, so salvation is free, right? Salvation is free. It's a gift. It's a free gift of salvation, right? By being free, it's necessarily universal. Or you're worldwide, meaning there. If it's free, then there's nothing you can do to get to it, right? You don't. You can't be born Jewish, or you can't become a proselyte, become Jewish, then to receive the free gift. If it's free, it's universal to all. Otherwise, you put a condition on it, right? Whatever that condition might be. So it's universal to all. It's free to both Jews and Gentiles alike. There's no distinction on how a man can be saved, and that was a failure that Israel had, right? They thought in order to be saved, you had to become one of them, right? We, we know in Romans 3, 22 and 23 that Paul declared all our sinners, Jews and Gentiles, right? He made that whole list of, didn't matter who you were, you were a, a, a learned Greek, an unlearned Greek, whether you were a Jew or not, you were a sinner and you needed salvation, right? You needed, you needed saving. Uh, the Lord of the Jews is also the Lord of the Gentiles, right? He is the same Lord. He is the one who graciously calls you, and he is the one who responds to those who call upon him, right? Okay, so read verse 13, if you would. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever, right? So to prove that there's no distinction between people and that all may be saved, Paul quotes an Old Testament passage, which is Joel 2.32. So Joel 2.32 says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of Jehovah shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those that escape, as Jehovah has said, and among the remnant those whom Jehovah does call. Right? So he's telling them back, this was, what, 600 years prior to this time, at least. Um, Whoever shall call in the name of Jehovah shall be delivered or shall be saved. And here he's starting to build that remnant idea, that remnant case, right? And among, those, and among the remnant, those whom Jehovah does call. So it's a, this is an interesting application because 
Joel, when he was writing this, was dealing with Israel as a nation, as a nation, as national salvation. But Paul takes this verse, right, and he prove, and he puts a worldwide application upon it, right? There's, so there's we had studied this before how there are, there are different ways to how the New Testament interprets Old Testament prophecies, right? Um, and so. Paul is taking that Joel verse and applying, and that was written from Joel to the national salvation of Israel, and he's applying it now to worldwide salvation. Um, God's promise is that whoever shall call upon him shall be saved. So that includes both Jews and Gentiles. Remember, Paul was specifically commissioned by Jesus Christ himself to go to the Gentiles, right? That was his commission. Remember, he had that burden that he had to do it. He felt like he had to do it because Christ had specifically called him, specifically trained him, and specifically did that. Remember, he had he had these gifts. This he wanted to impart a gift to the the Romans that they didn't have before, right? He says, "I hope to come to you because I want to impart a spiritual gift." He was trained by Christ Himself personally to have, and he called it like my gospel, right? His own gospel. And, and he was saying that he had the understanding, that key, that the Gentiles could be saved. So he has the authority as being an apostle, as being called by Christ and commissioned by Christ to take Joel and apply it to worldwide salvation. Are we, follow, are we following that? Okay, so, so the universality or the worldwide application of salvation comes from two things. It's first from God's character, right? Because he's the same. He's the same Lord of the Gentiles, he's the same Lord of the Jews, right? So his character is what's providing the means of universal salvation. And then it's secondly from his promise, right? That he would give salvation to anyone that calls on him. So his character is universal. He created all men. All men are made in his image. All men, he knows the number of hairs on their head. That's his character. And then the fact that he made a promise that all could be saved is how this is happening as a worldwide application, right? Obviously, we've already learned that Paul isn't saying that that means there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles, right? He's, he's making the case there is that, right? He said, what benefit does it, remember we talked about, what benefit is it to be, have, to be a Jew? Does anybody remember any of the benefits? This, this might be your, uh, some of the questions on it. <laughs> what are some of the benefits to being a Jew? They had the law. They had the prophets. They had the scriptures, yeah. right? They had the they had the way, right? Yeah. They had the way. If you wanted to be saved, you had to go through them in a sense, right? I mean, anyways, yes, that's those are the things that they had the law, they had the prophets, they they had direct communication, they were chosen people. So so there's so many benefits, right? They have the covenants, they have the promises that are still waiting to be for given to them, right? We're gonna recognize in the millennial kingdom how much God loved his people, and he's going to bless them tremendously during that thousand-year reign as well, right? And so they have those things. The church has not overtaken them. We're partaking of them, not overtaking them. <clears throat> okay. Okay, let's see. So, all right, so that ignorance of salvation to all was another ignorance, which leads to a third ignorance, and that's the ignorance of worldwide preaching, 
right? They were tasked to preach the good news or the gospel or the way of righteousness or the way of salvation to God. That was their task as well. That's what God had tasked them to be. They were to be a priest to the nations, right? They, were, they had their own priests. Well, we're going to get into that right now, actually. So, Okay, so we move into the next ignorance, and the, the next ignorance is that they failed or were ignorant of worldwide preaching of the gospel. So they, had, they, they were failed in the worldwide understanding of how one is saved, the application of salvation, and then now they're in the world, they failed to understand that in order to be saved, they have to preach, right? In order to be saved, you have to hear, right? So you have to hear the word of God, and then you can understand the way of salvation, and then you can believe. So all these things cascade on one another. So again, the, the, the bigger picture is that Israel's failure was not on God's part, right? It wasn't his fault, right? He explained that salvation was given to all, whether Jew or Gentile. But again, in order to be saved, you have to hear. In order to hear, you have to have someone preach, right? That's the way that it works. <clears throat> so since God doesn't make a distinction between Jew and Gentile in terms of salvation, he also doesn't make a distinction between preaching the gospel, right? That the, the message has to be offered to everyone. But this free offering to the Gentiles also was a stumbling block for them. They wanted to stay here, right? They, they didn't want to go. They didn't want to teach. They didn't want to preach. They wanted it all for themselves in a sense, right? So Paul, so Paul has to prove now that um, to his own people, to the Jews, that they don't have an excuse for stumbling over this free gift of grace to all. So in verses 14 through 21, he's going to show that they don't have an excuse. They can't excuse themselves by claiming they never heard of God's intention to save Gentiles. We just went over some of the scriptures that they had were going to be aware that God would save Gentiles, all people, right? Their scriptures told them. So we're going to see some of these, some of these next verses that tell them that the Gentiles can be saved and should be saved, and it's their responsibility, right? They've heard the truth. Um, okay, so they wrongly thought, since they wrongly thought that God's intention was to just save Israel only, they thought there was no need to preach the message of salvation to the Gentiles. That's their failure. Remember, God's, Paul's presenting that it was not God's fault they rejected him. It was their fault. They have no excuse. They failed to the, in these things. Are we, are we following that? That's kind of what the outline is there for Okay, so let's read verses 14 and 15, if you read that, please. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who have preached the good news. Right. So he's asking several questions, and they're sort of you can sort of see the chain, right? The link in each chain. And each conclusion forms the basis for the next question, right? So he points out four things. First, there's no calling upon the name of the Lord without faith. Second, there can be no faith without hearing, right? Faith must have content, right? And, faith must, and it must hear the content of faith before you can believe it, right? We said it. Third, there's no hearing without preaching. Fourth, there's no preaching without sending, Right? You see how it all, the sending goes to the preaching, the preaching goes to the hearing, the hearing goes to belief. Right? But if you don't have the sending, 
you don't have the belief, right? So a worldwide gospel is necessary for worldwide salvation, right? And that requires a worldwide proclamation of that gospel. But Israel failed and they rejected their role, the preaching. And it was a, the, the reason why the world was not necessarily, I want to say that's their fault that they didn't save the world, but nonetheless, they failed to partake in their responsibility, right? They had the word of God. The word of God was spoken to them, right? They had it. And they couldn't, and it, like Paul was saying, it was in their heart, it was in their mouth. They had it, they knew it, they could do it, but they didn't do it. Okay, so in verse 15, <clears throat> Paul quotes Isaiah 52, 7, and it, that shows that the message had been preached, but it was simply not believed to Israel. And Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that says unto Zion, Your God reigns. So they had that understanding. They had that knowledge of the gospel, that God, who God is, and that the way to righteousness was to through God, their God, the God of Israel, right? I had said briefly about them being a kingdom of priests and a responsibility. Well, Exodus 19, 5 and 6, six shows that Israel was to be a, that kingdom of priests. They got that from Exodus, and so I'll read Exodus 19, 5 and 6, and it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right. So what Paul is saying is your scriptures have taught you that you are a kingdom of priests to go out to the earth. Right. If you will indeed obey my voice, keep my command, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right. So, like I said, in Israel, they had the Levites, right? The, 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 the Levites were the, the priests to the nation, right? The tribe of Levi. And their job was to represent Israel to God, right? But so within Israel, there was a tribe. That tribe's responsibility was to be a priest for the nation. But the bigger picture is that the nation was the tribe of Levi to the world, right? The nation of Israel was a priest a kingdom of priests to the world that would represent Gentiles to God, right? Are we, are we kind of following that right there? Israel failed to do that part, right? Let's look at uh, Isaiah 43, 10 through 13. And that's going to be the charge or the commandment that God is giving to Israel to be this kingdom of priests to the Gentile world. So Isaiah 43, 10 through 13. So if someone would read Isaiah 43, 10 through 13. You are my witnesses, the Lord's declaration, and my servants whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me, and there will be none after me. I I am the Lord, and there is no Savior but me. I alone declare, save, and proclaim, and not some foreign God among you. 
So you are my witnesses, the Lord's declaration. And I am God. Also, from today on, I am he alone, and no one can take anything from my hand. I act and do from the verses. Okay, so God is declaring himself to be the only true God, right? And the only true God, there's none before him, there's none after him. The only true God is the only one who can save. Therefore, he's the only Savior, right? In order for someone to be saved, they have to go through him, the only God, right? So because of Israel's failure or ignorance of, of applying salvation to all, they failed to preach that message. Remember, the, right away, you are my witnesses, right? And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Right? So they have this charge that for men to be saved, it has to go through the God of Israel, right? Not, not even go through. It's to get to a different thing. It's the only way for salvation or to be in the presence of God is Israel's God because he chose them. And again, it isn't because they, they were special. He just decided to choose Abraham, right? And Abraham had faith. Um, so the Israelites failed to preach to the Gentile nations that salvation is by grace alone, right? Through faith. But like we just saw in verses 14 of chapter 11, uh, I'm sorry, of chapter 10, that um, there can be no calling without faith. There can be no, there's no faith without hearing. There's no hearing without preaching and no preaching without sending. So because, so by the time, by the time Jesus comes, the pagan world is what? Pagan, right? They don't know anything about anything, right? They don't know anything about, I mean, I don't, I, I shouldn't say that absolute because there are always been people who've been saved right gentile and jew uh, and and there's always always that so um okay so back to verses 16 and 18 of chapter 10 of romans um so he's going to show that israel heard the message and was therefore without excuse so he points out in verse 16 that their failure to obey the gospel in which they had. So let's read verse 16 of chapter 10, if you would. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? All right, so the gospel at that time was what? What was God declared in Isaiah 43, right? That he is God, right? that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me no God was formed nor shall there be any after me I I am the Lord and besides me there is no savior I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you and you are my witnesses declares the Lord and I am God and henceforth I am he there is none who can deliver from my hand I work and who can turn it back that's the gospel they were to to preach right that God is their God and the only way to God is is him right he's the one so who has believed our message right this is a quotation from Isaiah 53 1 that they they fail to obey right who has believed our message so we we generally know Isaiah 53 right it's it's in Isaiah it's in it's a prophetically dealing with Israel's rejection of their Messiah right of Jesus Christ as their Messiah 
And that verse proves that there was a failure to obey the message that Israel had heard. They had the message. They knew who God was, the only God, the only Savior. But they failed to respond and submit to what had been proclaimed to them. Instead, they wanted to follow the laws, the Mosaic law of works, right? So now Paul's going to continue on that. In verse 17, he's going to explain the relationship between faith and hearing. So read verse 17 of chapter 10, Romans 10. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Okay, so the relationship is that they have to have, in order to have faith, you have to have a message to believe, right? You have to have a content of faith. It's not like we said, it's most definitely not a blind faith. When you see the stars and the sun and the moon, you know there's a God, but you don't know what the content of that God is, right? Now, all that is just revealing the fact that there is a God, but that's not going to be enough to save you. It's just enough to say, now what? Who, who what? You know, all, all of those questions. And so belief comes of hearing. Hearing is the gospel. The gospel is Christ died, rose again. Was, or, I'm sorry, Christ died, buried, and rose again, right? For you. So how are they going to believe a message unless they hear it, right? And what is the message that goes out for people to believe, right? That's, that's the whole charge that, has happened, that, happens to, that you have to have. Um, and so in Acts 2... When Christ goes back and he ascends back to heaven, the message is that everyone has to believe, the gospel message is that everyone has to believe what Christ's work was. But we see that in Isaiah, God's commandment to the Israelites was, tell them who I am, right? It wasn't, it wasn't in Christ yet because Christ hadn't come. They were, they were going to be learning that there was going to be a Messiah who would pay for all the sins. Okay, so that faith has to have content. The content has to be taught or preached um, in order for one to believe. Um, so believing in the message comes by hearing, and hearing is by the word of God, right? So you have to know, you know God by his word. Yeah, we good? Okay, so can you truly say that the Jewish people have no excuse, right? Is that fair? Did they really understand it, right? Did they really understood their responsibility because they rejected it so clearly and so absolutely? Did they really understand that? Well, Paul answers that question in verse 18. So read verse 18. But I ask how they not heard. Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Okay, so the answer, of course, is that Yes, they are responsible. Yes, they have no excuse because they had it, right? Their voice has gone out to all the earth. Their words to the end of the, the world. That's a quotation from Psalm 19.4 to show that they are without excuse. And so Psalm 19.4 says, Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. So, that tent for the sun is a natural revelation, right? A general revelation, um, and it should have brought the Jewish people to faith, as was the case of the pagan Gentile world. Remember we read in Romans 1, no man is with, with excuse because he can look up and see the sun, right? The fact that there is a sun is the fact that there is a God who created the sun, right? 
And even more so, the Jewish people of the first century had even more than just the message of nature and their Old Testament scriptures. What did they have? The first century Jews. They had John the Baptist preaching, right? They had Christ preaching. They had, right? they had all of them. They had it. They had the message given to them. So they had a responsibility and they indeed had an understanding. But they rejected it, right? This, this reminds me so much of like um, prophecy in the future. You know, like how could people reject when it's right there in front of them and they see it, but then, you know, after the rapture happens and, you know, all the, and, and even when Jesus, they know that, you know, even during the millennium, you know, Jesus will be on the throne and they're still going to reject him. You know, like you just want to shake him. Like how can you? <laughs> reject them when he's right here. Yeah. You know. Well, that goes into the other, what was it, chapter 8, right? That God predestines those to believe. That's the only explanation as why somebody would re reject him if he doesn't call. If you're dead, you can't wake yourself up. He has to awaken you to faith, right? And that's a hard thing to grapple with because what do we do with that information, right? Oh, it's 10.25. Okay, we better stop. Okay, so we will, get, we will continue on that train of thought, but that's exactly right. Why, even, even now, why, why do some, like Grace and I were talking, we have kids, and those kids have heard, but some don't follow. They don't want to follow. They don't want to listen. They don't want to do it. And you, you wonder, how is it in the same environment, in the same culture, in the same teaching, in the same upbringing, do they reject it? It's, a, it's an interesting thing. It's a sad thing as a parent, right? It's a very sad thing as a parent. But anyways, okay, let us pray. Father, we just bow our hearts, Lord, to you in gratitude and in thanksgiving because you have given us your word. Lord, we're thankful that we have the gospel and that we heard the gospel. We're thankful that someone was sent to preach the gospel on our behalf and that we heard it and that we believed it and now we are saved because of you calling us, right, Lord, and that you, you breathe life into us. Lord, we pray that as a body, you would be pleased with our worship together. And Lord, that we would present our, our minds, our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to you at, throughout this next week, that whatever we say, whatever we do, and everything that we are would give glory and honor to you. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.